Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alstead, here with Keith Myers. We're going to talk Seahawks football. Got a lot on the agenda today, so uh, we got we got to be quick right into the show. But first, I got to say hi to my good friend, Keith Myers. Hey, how's it going? It's been um, it's been a a um, an eventful week. It seems like you know we used to record on on. Um, in the morning and then it got shifted a little later and now we're in the later afternoon so we've got some um some uh better beverages yeah. along Ooh. along for the um Ooh. what was that the show that that is, is a nice a, looking glass just by itself but it is that is what? a that is a frame from hood river frame uh brandy snifter full of uh uh barrel aged tiramisu uh porter from wandering hop brewing and it is excellent. So wow. this is what happens when we, this is the nice thing about recording later in the afternoon. Yeah. Is we get to enjoy um, better Cheers. beverages. Now I, in my little uh, nifty little wine glass that isn't really a wine glass anymore. It's more of a cup. Um, I've just have my, my basic Italian red blend and it's uh, it's good. It's really good. This time of the afternoon, it is later because you're, uh, you're back at physical school mm-hmm. teaching for the first time in how long? Uh, just under a year. Like, so the schools closed on the 13th of March and they reopened with students in the building on the 1st of March. So wow. that will tell you how long it's been since we've had students in the building with us, which is, you know, it is what it is. So, well, I mean, that's, it's exciting and you're kind of apprehensive a little bit and, uh, you know, life kind of gets back to normal, but everyone's still kind of socially distanced and has the masks and stuff. But, uh, but that's, you know, there, there's some hope at, mm-hmm. at the end of the tunnel. And uh, it's, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, the, um, the vaccine here in Arizona just became available for folks my age and older. Uh, so that we could start to make appointments. I'm actually getting my first dose of the vaccine, Moderna vaccine on Friday. And uh, the nice. follow-up is, uh, I think, the first or second of April, I think. So I've already got both of them booked Yeah. Um, with the first one coming Friday. I'm, I'm excited, you know, because my folks got theirs. I'm getting mine. It sounds like, you know, everyone's getting ready to kind of open this whole thing up for everybody to kind of... Uh, get in this thing and uh, uh hopefully we can kind of this time next year everything will be back you know forget we'll have, this time forget this time next year sometime this well, summer yeah well sometime this summer i just don't want to get too uh i mean too got, optimistic well so what what happened what 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 came out today like we're, we'll get into the football here in a second but what came out today is that because of the johnson and johnson vaccine getting approved they can now produce enough because we now we have three different yeah. uh, people producing vaccines, um, they can produce enough vaccine to have every adult in America um, have at least their first shot of the two 
um, in May, yeah. which means by the end of June, we have everyone fully vaccinated. That's, um, that's terrific. Man. And so that means this summer we're back to normal. And by fall, like we're like everything is normal. We are going to have uh, well, fans I mean, in the stands for yes, the games. Yes, and, yes. I mean, still, you're still looking probably at like a 70% vaccination rate, maybe slightly higher than that, hopefully. Um, and then, but still, you have to worry about folks traveling into this country from other countries that maybe haven't had the success of uh, vaccinations yet. Still, right? And True, so but how but do you kind of mitigate that? So they're going to come. They're going to come in, but who are they going to give it to? Because as a population, if if um, you know seventy five percent of our population has been vaccinated, we have herd immunity, so it's not going to spread true. throughout the population. Well, it is. It is interesting though, and even in herd immunity, you can have pockets of true. places that are uh, you know more or less less vaccinated than some of the other areas yep. of the country, and so you could still have a few things, but nonetheless some optimistic stuff coming down the pipe uh, and I'm here for it. Um, today's show, we have a lot going on today. Um, there's some, some news recently about a quarterback you guys might've heard of uh, that's just been all over the news and uh, trade rumors and um, uh, the coach quarterback relationship is completely damaged and irreparable. You've heard it all from uh, it's nothing, you know, it's just a bunch of noise in the off season to he's going to get traded. And these are the four teams he's going to, you know, um, and somewhere in the middle lies the truth. And we're going to talk about all that today, a little bit right up front. Um, as soon as I get done talking about what we're going to talk about, and then we're going to go into some of the prospects in the draft at two position groups, uh, the quarterback, and how did we pick that one? I don't know. It just happened to be the quarterback this week, as well as running back. So we're going to take a look at those two position groups uh, in the draft and identify some players that we think would be good fits on the Seattle Seahawks and uh, available. So uh, we'll skip over the, uh, we'll, we'll mention some of the guys at the top, but we'll focus on some of the guys in the mid rounds uh, where the Seahawks are drafting this year uh, and see if we can improve the team. All right. So let's start this russell wilson conversation a little bit we kind of um last week uh, after we recorded of course um always you know, it's after we record yeah, that after the, we record the cx decided to break some news yeah um, exactly so the atlantic uh, article um from michael sean duger mike uh sando jason jenks um was kind of earth shattering a little bit I mean, in, that in was, the way that they put it all together. So they, I will say that, that, that particular group is a all-star team yeah. of Seattle based reporters. I mean, Mike Sando covered the CX for the Tacoma news tribune forever moved to ESPN insider um, and yes. covered the NFC West for what, almost a decade now before moving to the athletic um, jinx was at the Seattle times um, and did a, phenomenal job there uh before moving to the athletic and um, michael sean duger was i think he was at, actually with the um the the tacoma news tribune as well for a couple of years and um yeah they do a great job and they did a tremendous yeah. job on this article got some national attention out of this thing because and they it deserve was it. so well done 
Yeah, it was really well researched. So and so, uh, well, basically, um, prior to this article, there was just a bunch of loose little rumors and loose little uh, you know words said that maybe got stretched and maybe uh, misinterpreted or whatever you want to say. But there was just a lot of things out there with some sources that were just kind of random and all over the place. And we kind of played it off a little bit um, just because there wasn't anything really foundationally uh, something that we could hold on to that was like straight out of Wilson's mouth or straight out of Pete Carroll, other than what was said at press conferences at the end of the year. So everything else just came, seemed like speculation. So we were just kind of going to let that ride a little bit because um, it wasn't really newsworthy. Um, but, but this thing kind of put it into context and into perspective. So basically it outlines the, the working relationship between Russell Wilson, Seattle's quarterback, Pete Carroll, John Schneider, and the Seahawks organization. And uh, if you want to add, you know, Russell Wilson's camp into it as well, his, um, his agent and so forth is, is uh, the source of, of some of these comments that have been made and and um this the, the overall media reaction to everything that's been going on is dominated um sports talk radio uh articles on espn uh espn first take es whatever you name the espn sports uh, talk show uh in the afternoons uh mornings and afternoons and and it's been the feature story for a while now and um the basically it's it's a uh, comes down to uh, that the relationship between Wilson and Pete is strained and uh, it lists out uh, many reasons why and in the uh, Atlantic article it chronologically kind of puts it all together um, from prior seasons um, and then kind of picks it up in earnest uh, about halfway through this year uh, when things got kind of sideways for Seattle, they started hot. Things uh, uh, ended up having like, uh, what, eight or 10 turnovers in a, in a few games. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, quote unquote, Pete pulled the reins back on, on Russell Wilson a little bit there. Brian Schottenheimer failed to adjust. They kind of went down the strut struggling and never really completely put it all together uh, and, and went out of the playoffs almost predictably at that point. And then uh, the post uh, games press conferences from Pete Carroll and, and uh, Russell Wilson kind of gave a window into uh, the thinking there. And all of this has been reported. So I'm not going to rehash a whole bunch of stuff, but it, it picked up a little steam when you started hearing quotes from, um, from Russell Wilson on the Dan Patrick show and the Ellen DeGeneres show. He's kind of out there doing some media tour type stuff, talking about his offensive line, talking about, pass protection, talking about, you know, weapons, talking about relationship uh, with, with Pete a little bit. Uh, you, you've started hearing some tweets from Jason Lockenfora. Um, California. Uh, how do you? Lockenfora. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Um, that that uh, Russell Wilson's camp was frustrated with the, with the pass protection and, and so forth. And then it finally got to the point where um, the trade rumors started. Uh, in earnest. And, and at that point, you and I were still both uh, not convinced that this was a real deep issue. This was more superficial, talking about the offensive line, talking about protection, some of the same conversations that have had uh, in the off seasons in, in prior years. And so it's, you know, it's just chatter. 
at this point. But but that kind of made it real, talking about uh, uh, some of the rumors. And then uh, Russell Wilson's agent uh, stepped in and um, said, you know, Russell Wilson hasn't asked to be traded. The Seahawks don't want to trade him. But if they should want to trade him, here are the four teams that Russell Wilson would agree to go to. And that kind of blew up the entire thing. And so what are your thoughts, Keith, on just this overall overarching uh, public pressure campaign, for lack of a better word, that Russell Wilson and his folks have decided to engage in this offseason to kind of put the Seahawks on notice, put the Seahawks into a corner, really, as far as, listen, these are the things that we need to have addressed. These, this is serious. I haven't been able to get my way in, in private. And so I'm going to go public and maximize the pressure on, on you guys to be able to do the things that I feel are necessary to improve the team to get to the Super Bowl. And um, A, is it effective? <laughs> and B, um, what is the likely outcome? Okay, so <clears throat> one, it is effective. Um, and so you end up with, you end up with all these like trade speculations and all this stuff going on. And, and, you know, Pete and John basically have to look at this and they're like, we can't hide from this anymore. Um, we have to address it. And so it is effective. If nothing else, it changes, you know, public perception and, and they really get, uh, everyone ends up on the same page as far as what needs to be done. Well, they have, um, they have yet to address it publicly. And maybe and they never they will. will not. They never will. And so that's one of the things. One of the people came out and said, "You know, if you want to, if you want to squash this, if you're Seattle, what you owe Russell Wilson is yeah, to come I out did not like and that article to come out and 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 say unequivocally, blah, blah blah blah. And that's not the way. I mean, that's dumb. Because how many times have we heard? Um, well, a, they didn't generate the rumor. They well, didn't, and, yeah. You know, how many times? Have you, how many times though have we heard um, the? Philadelphia Eagles come out and say, you know, Carson Wentz is our guy. And then now he's, he's already been traded. Right. So coming out and, and, and saying anything about it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't help anybody. And for them, it's better to just ignore it and just act like it, you know, we're not going to just, we're not going to, um, we're not going to make this a thing by admitting its existence and actually, you know, like well, get, giving it power. At point do you trust like Russell Wilson and, uh, and you'll have to excuse me, Keith, I don't have Russell Wilson's agent's name on the top of mind, and I didn't write it down. Um, how, how much do they trust him? So if they say, you know, we're not going to do anything publicly, but man, we need to reach out to Wilson and, and his agent and at least uh, let them know that we fully support, you know, some of these ideas and here's what we're going to do in the offseason to make sure that we do it. Or... They just don't say anything. They don't reach out to Wilson. They kind of let everything hang. Wilson's people are continuing to talk, but but in the background, Seahawks are just kind of taking care of their business and making some of these moves happen. Um, it started with the Waldron hire, I thought. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a great step forward. That seemed to be in conjunction with Russell Wilson's input. And then from, from there on out, it's just been nothing but chaos. Well, and it, it, that's the thing is it has been chaos. And so you have the situation where they are uh, going back and forth. And, and um, yes, Wilson was given some input on that. 
but he, Wilson is trying to downplay his input because he wants to continue to put pressure to get the offensive line improved. Um, yeah. And, and, and so, so there's, there's a lot going on here. And Mark Rogers is the name that I was yes. looking for. As the there you go. Agent. Um, and so when, anytime you read a player's camp in any article or any story or any tweet automatically that 100% of the time, that is the agent. I've seen people say, no, that's Sierra for, and it's, it's, it's Russell. No, it's not his wife. It's his agent. And the yeah. reason why agents do that is they don't want their own name in the headline. They want the player's name in the headline. Well, so that Russell, changed a little bit this last week. A little bit because he, because he, he's got, yeah, you've seen his name in it a little bit more, but ultimately when they say it's Russell Wilson's camp, that's an, that's agent speak to, Hey, reporter i'm calling you i'm telling you what's going on um but don't put my name in the story say it's russell wilson's camp so that his name is the thing um and agents do that they've been doing that forever that's just that's a thing um I so mean, uh lock and fora uh came out earlier last week and said possible trade destinations for wilson include the raiders dolphins saints and jets among mm-hmm. them quote unquote and then thursday wilson's agent this is last thursday um told espn's adam schefter the quarterback would only consider going to the saints raiders bears and cowboys as potential trade destinations so um why name names why you don't see that very often and you've got a quarterback with a non-trade and a no a no trade clause so and he would have to waive his no trade clause four teams now to me that's just an amplification device you you've literally you had pressure and then you just turned it up to 11 just so, because but we don't where, really know why we don't know why those teams specifically uh, other than we can kind of speculate and guess but it doesn't make a lot of sense where do you think the foreign teams from lock lock and fora came from I don't know because two like the the Dolphins and the Jets have the most draft capital so you would consider those just as being they have draft capital they have salary cap space they can exactly. take on his contract right. they right. can give Seattle what they need um so it makes sense logically on that but where where did those names come from on the four because the well, Saints are the opposite have to be yeah, I know. The Saints are the opposite. They have no money. They have way over the cap already. They would have to clear a ton of cap space. They have to clear a ton of cap space anyway, and they have to clear a ton more to get Wilson uh, on there. So, I, you know, my first name but, comes but to mind is Colin Hurd. Oh, Cowherd? Or Cowherd for, mm-hmm. for that uh, source. Yeah. Um, so, Lock and Fora is very well known in media circles for being, hey, any agent, if you want to get the word out, you call him. And so he got those four names from Wilson's agent. I, I can't guarantee that because I don't know, but it's it's Jason Lockenfora. That's his gig, right? Um, he he is the side, he is the agent's voice in the media. He and then Adam Schefter um, is the team's voice in the media for the most part. He, um, well, let's go beyond. He's the guy that teams that, that teams call. So let's those go beyond. Four names came just, from him. Let's go beyond just the logistics of the names and so forth. Let's talk about the strategy. 
-hmm. let's talk about Russell. Let's there's, there's two strategies here playing out. One is just the media strategy of like amplifying this at, at all costs. And that's kind of where it's at right now is it's just out of control a, a little bit as far as it's Russell no longer controls the narrative and the Seahawks don't control the narrative. It's just out there now. It's all out there and it's just going wherever it's going to go. And then, um, but, but specifically though, if you, if you dial it back a little bit and, and peel back the curtain, all this was generated and purposefully thought out as a strategy by Russell Wilson and his agent um, or, or a few other folks that are in the room or whatever. What do you think of the strategy? What is it trying to accomplish? And is it going to be successful? Or are we going to end up, is it, is it overplayed? Did he overplay his hand? And will it possibly result in him being traded? So um, I don't think he overplayed his hand because anytime you're a uh, quarterback on a Hall of Fame trajectory, you have all the hand you ever want to play. Um, he can overplay, he can, he can do this as strongly as he wants to. And you know, if you're if you're out there you have making all the, power. Uh, all the news and you're um, yeah, if you're generating all the, the the controversy, if it's good or bad, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you have control. You are in control of the narrative, and you can pretty much get what you what you want to get. Yeah, uh, and that, that's a reason why uh, players like Wilson have a cap number of thirty two million dollars next year. Now he's only making nineteen next year but all the extra money came as bonuses earlier, um, right? So he's already been paid that money. That's why it's 32. But the, the reason why quarterbacks like him get paid so much is because they have all the power. They have all the control. There are 32 teams. There's only about 20 NFL quarterbacks. And so you, you have to look at this as um, he has a ton of power. So he's, this play, this strategy is about, you know, that he has asked for things in the past, right? He, he has gone and said, Hey, I'd like, you know, better protection. He, he did that privately last year. He came out publicly and said, I would like another weapon. I'd like something else. And they went and they got him um, Olsen at tight end. And they already had Metcalf. But they, they basically let him develop another year. They already had Lockett. They, they had that set up. They went and tried to get um, Dorsett. It didn't work out because of the injury and all of that. Well, that's, they tried. that's what I mean by these little tepid, uh, you know, steps to improve that are on the margins. Um, but here's what other teams are doing in our division right now. Matthew Stafford joins the Los Angeles Rams via a big trade. The salary cap hit dead money uh, for the Rams. Didn't matter. That thing went down. Uh, yesterday, J.J. Watt, who was earlier released from the Houston Texans, signs with the Arizona Cardinals and instantly makes that team a little bit more interesting. Um, it's a big contract, $31 million, 20-something million is guaranteed. He's got some injury type stuff going on. Last year was less effective than years prior. So we don't know if he's hit that proverbial age um, cliff or not, but we'll find out. And you pair that with Chandler Jones, who last year, um, you know, went out in October 
uh, but he's a, a SAC leader. In fact, if you add up uh, since 2012, uh, Jones has 97.5 sacks, Watt has 95.5 sacks, 193 combined sacks in the NFL, which is absurd. And then you add uh, Hassan Reddick, who's there, and, and he's a free agent this year, but um, they'd love to have him back. Had 12 and a half sacks, 16 quarterback hits, 28 pressures, and six forced fumbles. You got those three guys on the defensive line. We already know about Aaron Donald uh, on the defensive line and, and his crew there in Los Angeles. Last year, the, the 49ers were decimated by injury, but their defense is pretty awesome uh, in a normal year with, uh, with uh, Bosa there. And the Seahawks have Dunlap. Uh, <laughs> Dunlap is uh, likely a, a, a cap casualty um, cut candidate at this point. Some in the Seattle media are speculating, and I think there has some merit to that. And so <clears throat> Wilson's demands carry even more weight now when you consider the additions that other teams are making to, to win in this ultra-competitive division. Yeah, Seattle had 12 wins last year, but they seem more like a regular season win type team. When they get to the playoffs, I think they're one in five in the last five, six playoff years. Mm -hmm. And so um, Seattle, it seems to me that we've reached a point, this is like a, a very critical point right now. Uh, we've reached a situation where Seattle must do everything that Wilson has asked and be successful at it. So they need to add uh, the offensive line help. They need not just a guy, not Posick back at center, not just some dude that's, you know, coming out of a wheelchair to, to take over uh, Opati's spot where he, he's going into wheelchair retirement. Um, you can't do that. You have to get at least some premier guys in there to form a formidable top 10 offensive line in the NFL. That's what is required. That's what Russell Wilson is asking you to do. That's really, you know, Russell Wilson's kind of entering the stage of his career where mobility is going to be um, a factor. Uh, he's going to become less and less mobile as the years go forward. And that offensive line needs to be, um, needs to be a little better at the pass blocking. And we've talked about that. It's like, you can afford to do that to a certain point. And then at some point you need to kind of restructure your roster a little bit to invest more into the offensive line. We're there now. And yeah, yeah. we've talked about the tight end. Uh, Olsen's left. All we've got is Disley and a couple of un unproven guys, uh, completely unproven. And then uh, wide receiver number three, you mentioned, um, you mentioned who we have. And then they tried to do Dorsett. They'd like to have him back. He'd be a cheap option, but that's really all he is right now. It's just some cheap option. They're just, you know, it seems to me like maybe they would invest a little bit more money into that spot. And then uh, the running back spot, our top two running backs from last year are both free agents. One of which is more than likely probably not going to return just from a cost management perspective. And that's not even, that's just the offense. And then you go to the defense you know, we've got the Carlos Dunlap thing. We've got to figure out the Jamal Adams thing. We've got KJ Wright's going into free agency and wants a bigger contract or at least similar to what he had last time. Uh, he's, he's, he's come out and said, quote unquote, I'm going to, I want to take the, the biggest offer. And that's probably not likely Seattle. And so you've got to replace, uh, replace that. We've got Brooks, but there's still going to be uh, an opening there uh, with the linebacker uh, group. 
Uh, Jamal Adams and Diggs are both on essentially one-year contracts. Dunbar and Griffin are going to be out. So we've got this roster completely full of holes, not just holes, starter and um, solid contributor type guys that we need to be able to either re-sign or replace. And we have very little effective cap space right now as it stands. And we have four draft picks. And then we, we still have to fill fulfill Russell Wilson's mission to, mm -hmm. to improve the, the team. And I know that Pete Carroll wants to, too. He's come out and said it. I know John Schneider, that's the goal. But when you go all in for 2020 and try to win, and then you don't, and, and all of a sudden, too, you can't, you, you've reached a um, kind of an unpredictable um, salary cap limitation that was put on the, on the season that you couldn't forecast a couple of years ago when you were making these contracts. Um, it just seems like it's too much to overcome. And I'm wondering what gives people, like, how do you see this thing going down? And then let's talk about prospects. So I think what, we're, what I think what we can, we can say is that Russell Wilson counts more against the cap in Seattle if they trade him than if they keep him. His cap number goes up by trading him. So I don't think they traded him this year. Well, if they are... traded him, Keith, the season would be over. They would, yes. they would it, restructure, reset, rebuild, whatever you want to call if, it. If they trade Wilson, they're committing to a massive rebuild. Yes. Um, and so you're going to see Adams gone. You're going to see yes. Bobby Wagner gone. You're going to see Dunlop gone. You're going to see all sorts of guys traded. They're going to um, get a lot of draft capital for this year and next year. They're going to build this team young. They're going to start over. They've also got a 70-year-old head coach. Okay, he's 69, but he'll be 70 next year during the season. Um, so they have a, co a head coach going into, going into a year when he's 70. He is not going to rebuild. So I, I think we can, we can safely say it's not going to happen. So what's going to happen is they're going to do the best they can, given the resources that they have, to put together a team to make one last run at this. How much? Okay, so you're saying one last run. I get that, and and that's coded language for they're going to mortgage the future a little bit. Yeah. And in 2021. Yep. So they will they will trade. I my guess is they're going to trade at least two 2022 draft picks for 2021 in order to restock um, some young cheap talent, and on top of that, they're going to. Um, restructure some guys and push a lot of money into the future um, as far as salary cap, salary cap money into the future. Give them the money now, but push the salary cap money into the future um, in order to free up the space it really, they need. It, it's really, it, it makes things a little uh, tenuous um, with some of those guys, some of those contracts. Um, mm -hmm. But that's kind of what you have to do. You yeah. got to have a little bit more risk so, to, it, 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 for the upside potential. Mm -hmm. and, and you're pushing that risk out just a little bit. Yeah, so I, I think you're gonna you're gonna push you're gonna push all that stuff in the next year. You're gonna gear it up for one last go at this. And if it if they make a run and get deep in the playoffs um, and win a lot of games, I got to tell you, winning fixes a lot of things. It'll fix a lot of the problems between Wilson and Pete Carroll. Yes. Um, if they don't, because they, they, they're just unable what, to make the improvements what that they do need. You, what is your definition of what Russell Wilson believes is winning? They better get to the title game, NFC title yeah. game. Yeah, I wrote that out on, 
on Twitter today. I was like, I think, success is only going to be defined if we get to the, the NFC championship game. Otherwise, yeah. it's not a successful transformation. Because yeah. we're exactly right back where we were. Yep. Except a year from now, we are in a completely different salary cap situation. Even if we push a bunch of money forward um, with, with players, um, because the salary cap will jump back up and Russell Wilson's dead money goes way down. And so a year from now, he is tradable. Right now, he's not. I mean, the, the And he still has two years remaining on his deal. So any, any team that would get him would still find that attractive. And yeah. His his salary cap would be around what nineteen million dollars for twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three, something yeah, like for, that. So for the team, team that for the team that's him. getting him, exactly. Yes. So that's a huge, and so you're getting a fran- top three franchise quarterback in the NFL for nineteen million dollars. What? Yeah. So the compensation coming back is still going to be as rich or richer yep. next year, depending. I mean, if they if they finish the season on high marks and, and Waldron is able to institute a really nice, efficient, effective offensive scheme and, and Wilson kind of thrives in that, his value could be even higher next year. Yeah, but if, if, if Wilson thrives in it and the team is successful. Why would he want to leave? He wouldn't leave. He, he's not going to leave. So th- but that's what I mean. As I think all of this comes down to they're going to do what? pressure is on Waldron to be successful? A lot a ton um but there's you know that that's true for every offensive coordinator that's making true. their first offensive coordinator job yeah uh just look at mike di filippo and um, but, but the spotlight and, is clearly on this one though yes i know so um i was mentioning minnesota but in this case i honestly think we have one more year of uh, of pete and russ if they make a deep run then we've got three more years of Pete and Russ. Um, if they don't, if whatever they have, whatever happens this coming year fails for whatever the reason, they barely make the playoffs or God forbid they miss the playoffs. Um, one of those two is gone. Um, Pete might retire. If they have a losing season, if they go six and 10, um, can you imagine Pete Carroll at 70? committing to a three-year rebuild again, trading Russell Wilson and all these players and all these assets to load up on youth and rebuild at 70. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's a 50, 50 proposition. Pete's not a quitter. His entire life is about winning is about uh, overcoming achievement. I mean, he's built a a, a complete side career uh, outside of the Seahawks organization as kind of a motivational speaker, kind of a guy. Everything is tied to his ability to win and to be successful in transforming and transformative uh, characters and all that kind of stuff. So his brand is tied up in in this thing as well. That's what so, I mean. Is it him maybe, committing at seventy? Him committing to a rebuild? What happens maybe if the rebuild? Because that would be the ultimate challenge. And and you know, a, a guy that's like Pete doesn't easily walk away from challenge like that. And so, to me, that's why it's a 50-50. Is yeah. that might be a challenge he couldn't pass up, and or that might just have made him the tiredest man on the on the planet. And yeah, time at, to go. at seventy, um, having a losing season. No one knowing, would blame him for for stepping away. Yeah, and, and for him to for him to to take on that rebuild, unless you come out of it at the end winning, you've destroyed your brand. So there's only one option. 
They have to win. They better win. They got to go. They got to pour every resource they have into every position group and and win the talent battle going into the season. Now, if they lose because, you know, of injuries or, you know, the ball bounced off the uprights because Jason Myers missed a field goal or whatever, I think people can sometimes live with that. But if you don't do everything that you could do, could have done to build a roster before the season starts, that'll be one check already against the team before the season Mm -hmm. even begins. So I don't think they want to start that way. I think you're right. I think they invest, they do whatever they need to do to push contracts out to dump money into next year. Next year, you know, the, the salary cap is projected to be at like what two twenty five or two forty or something like that. I thought it was lower next year. It was like two twelve, and then it jumps that to would like have two forty two. Would have been two twelve had the salary cap gone up this year as scheduled. Yeah, and so the next year it's next year it's supposed to be it was supposed to be two twenty five or something like that. Yeah. But then with this year going down, I think I thought I saw that 212 was the new well, expectation. The thing that year. still might make it 225 is the is the uh, TV contracts. And I know. we haven't even started yet on that. And the the it's disputed on whether or not it's true or not. Um, but apparently Disney and the NFL did come to an agreement that's that's close to double. And yes, then they did. They reached a two two billion or what yeah. four billion dollars or whatever it's twice as big as it was before and mm-hmm. that's for uh and that's for uh, espn money and uh, abc disney uh, monday night football all that kind of stuff is tied into that that's just that portion of the media contract that's not the fox and cbs portion of the deal as well those are yet to come that the direct tv thing where they've got the ownership of of all of that is yet to be negotiated as well so i hope that goes away i do too believe me my wife is kicking my butt all the time because i gotta have direct tv in an out-of-market city yeah the direct tv deal is i understand it from an nfl point of view it's a lot of money just for them to have exclusive rights to like they can they can bundle for me and you it's a consumer yeah for a consumer it's horrible i'm hoping that they can bundle uh, a package, a TV exclusive TV pack, national package where you can order specific teams, that sort of a thing, as well as streaming, um, and 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 put that into a a deal where f- fans anywhere, you know, if you live in Barcelona, you can watch live football. I think you should be able to do that. All right. So, so the, the take, yeah, the, the takeaway for the Russell Wilson thing is this is a this is a planned strategy to put, ma- maximize public pressure on the team to win right now and, and give him all the tools necessary to, to be successful so that he has his legacy. Um, mm-hmm. So this isn't Russell Wilson trying to force a trade. The team doesn't want to trade him. Russell doesn't want to be traded. Likely ends up playing out the contract. That's probably the likely end game on this whole thing and the, and the Seahawks improve and we just keep going. Um, you know, there's when when all this happens, though, there is uh, a chance then it goes sideways and and anything can happen. So, okay, prospects, Keith. Today uh, we're talking about uh, the 2021 NFL draft comes in April. We're looking at position groups. We're going to go through all the position groups uh, as the shows progress. Um, 
And this week we start with quarterbacks and running backs. And, uh, you know, when, when I made up my notes and I did this, uh, this earlier this week and, and a, a bit last week, I've kind of been building, um, my film watching and, and note taking and so forth for a while now to try to, because it's a, it's a long process. <laughs> and, um, so when I started this, I didn't, I had no idea that maybe Russ could be traded and what would bring value back to the team and that well you get a couple first round picks next round uh next mm -hmm. year a first round pick maybe a second or a third so we could that could completely change the dynamic of the draft right now we have four picks in the draft the earliest pick is like 56 in the second round overall and um so it's not great uh draft capital right now but i would imagine those things will change a little bit i don't know if it's going to change uh incorporating a couple of first round picks uh and all that but um, there, there are a few guys at the top of the draft uh, for quarterbacks that I think it's just worthy of mentioning. There's like, to me, Keith, there's at least five quarterbacks that go in the first round, and there's four quarterbacks that could potentially go in the top 10. And each one of those quarterbacks, and I, and I look at them, they each have attributes that I really like. Like Trevor Lawrence is just kind of a, um one of those guarantee things like an andrew Shoot. luck remember andrew andrew luck came it's kind of a similar situation so take andrew luck and add um true athleticism yes exactly to go with exactly. it exactly i right. mean he, trevor trevor lawrence isn't just this like name it's thrown out there because he's you know clemson and whatnot no this is if you're looking at he's at the highest level if you're looking at quarterback prospects you're looking at him and then the next guy that would uh, that comes into mind um as being that quality would be john elway yeah it's funny i was having this exact same conversation <laughs> with the guy yesterday at the ballpark in in uh, peoria at the, at the at the ball game um we were talking about john elway because he was from denver and i was like oh i hate that guy you know and because i love that <laughs> i love and respect that guy so much i hate him what he yep. was able to do on the field and uh you know he's not a great um, i'll just say it he's not a, a tremendous human being as far as the way that he treats other people and so forth he's got kind of a bad reputation but uh, as a football player um he was he was a seahawk killer for a long time oh he was he killed every other team in the, in the nfl okay so trevor lawrence is up there at the top undisputed number one uh, pick in this clear number one um, overall there's nobody close and he's just a big bodied pocket guy that can that can actually move in space and uh, dodge some traffic and he's just a really nice prospect i think he's going to have a great uh, career after that uh, there's there's two or three guys that are kind of boom 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 uh, zach wilson justin fields and, and trey lance um, zach wilson kind of came on as kind of a sudden guy uh didn't really perform out of byu well in, in yep. 2019 but in 2020 byu quarterback ran a 44440 uh, um at a pro day that he participated in last year 63 210 kind of throws it all over the place um kind of a russell wilson kind of guy when you watch him on film he kind of moves the same way he dodges uh, gets underneath guys rushing him and uh, throws on the run really well off balance that sort of a guy he'd be a fine prospect i just he's kind of a one-year wonder for me so i'm not sure i really like zach wilson i think 
if the Seahawks do trade Russell Wilson um, and they Might trade well him, go for another Wilson. And they, they, well, that's true. I didn't even think about that. Um, and they trade him more for a, um, like to the Jets at number two more number or three, then people wouldn't even have to buy new jerseys. Uh, there's, that's a good point. It would say Wilson would be number three. Perfect. Um, uh, so I'm completely you, kidding. I think Russell uh, Wilson's going to end up being on the. Uh, oh, absolutely. The, uh, absolutely. But I'm just saying, that it, it, if Seattle did that, Zach Wilson to me is, is clearly, clearly the number two. Um, the quarterback in this field. And I, I think he is going to have a very good career. I know he's not Trevor Lawrence, right? Yeah. He has um, 33 touchdowns and three interceptions, 70 carries for 250 yards, 10 touchdowns. Um, yeah. I mean, he's, he's a great he, little prospect, but I, yeah. I like a couple other guys just slightly better. Really? Wilson. Yeah. Wilson's, I mean, it's hard you to go with a one-year guy. Yeah, so that you don't like the one-year wonder. Yeah, it makes so me my guess skeptical is you, a little bit. Plus, playing like at BYU. Justin Fields. Yeah, you like Justin Fields more, don't Justin you? Fields is an amazing prospect, Keith. Yeah, he is. He really um, is. Six three, two twenty-three. Yeah, I went yeah. into this process honest, just honest to God. I didn't watch a lot of college football. I just, I, I have time enough during the season to watch a pro football and and one team, and I focus and. And then I kind of catch up after the year and I watch a lot of film and I study and I, and I read all the analyst reports about, you know, all their attributes and all that kind of stuff, the measurables. And I can, and I catch up and I, and this last couple of weeks I've caught up on the quarterback class mm-hmm. and Justin Fields dude is unreal. Six, three, 223 runs up, runs a four, five. Mm-hmm. And he's just got that throwing ability, that athleticism, the stature, the clutch play. Um, he can make any throw. And yeah. um, the velocity on his ball is, is really nice. Um, he doesn't have as much accuracy as, say, a Mac Jones. Nobody does in this class, uh, except for Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence kind of got the whole package. But uh, Justin Fields needs to work on his accuracy a little bit. But every other intangible he has the leadership the the throwing the uh the way that he throws as far as um um his arm strength and the ability to to throw on with balance and and um get up get away from pressure and extend the field with his legs and all that kind of stuff he's going to be the like the perfect quarterback in a shane waldron system like the the hybrid spread West Coast offense with some power running and some wide zone, this guy, yeah, that he is guy a great like, fit for like Seattle. Justin Fields would yeah. make that offense. Now, 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 uh, Russell Wilson is a great quarterback in that system as well. Um, for the same sort of attributes, it's just that a Justin Fields is just that much more athletic and big and um, and young. <laughs> he's just got so, the young legs and so I'll tell you, just be amazing so you're looking at, at, at justin fields and watching some of his tape um one of the things that came to mind when i was watching watching him throw now he's he's more athletic and better on the run but watching him throw it made me think of Jameis winston um who has all that these touchdowns the, all these touchdowns the but also all those interceptions yeah, right and um so there's a little bit That's there because that, he has overconfidence in his arm. Yeah. His arm's he does. amazing. His arm, but yeah. in the NFL, the speed will kill you. And and that was the reason why I had Zach Wilson um 
ahead of Justin, Justin Fields, I worry that he's going to have a, he's going to struggle a little bit his first couple of years as he adapts to the speed of the defenders. You know what? Uh, you know what I was thinking? Hmm. And people aren't going to agree with me on this because they might have Mac Jones in, you know, picked in the 20s or whatever. But Mac Jones is the safer choice for NFL teams than Justin Fields. Here's the thing about Mac Jones. Mac he, Jones he is, is uh, he's like, um, he's a statue. Smith. He's like, remember uh, Smith from Utah? He broke his leg. He played for Washington. Yeah, Alex Smith. Alex Smith. He's like Alex Smith. Now, Alex Smith at least had some athleticism. Mac Jones is a statue. He's a really good statue. I mean, he's got great arm talent, incredible accuracy, just incredible accuracy. He's a game manager, like yeah, on steroids. He's a, yeah. he's a perfect game manager in the NFL. He is. Like at San Francisco. Like, yeah. like Mac Jones would be perfect in San Francisco. Oh, man, if he was to San Francisco, he'd be such an upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo. Yes, totally. Because he's more accurate. But he is he is a statue. He doesn't have that, that athleticism. And in Seattle, look at what – when Seattle's at its best, it's because Russell Wilson is doing Russell Wilson things, right? He's stretching the field. He's, um, he's extending plays. He's giving his wide receivers an opportunity. Mac Jones is never going to do that. That's not who he is. You know, I mean, he's. Yeah, but that that uh, senior bowl performance in practice week, you know, he didn't play, but um, in the in the game, but the but the practice showed everybody that this guy was super, super accurate and mm -hmm. could command an offense. And he and is the huddle. He is going to he's going to remind people of Peyton Manning. Now, I don't know if he'll ever. I mean, Peyton Manning was is a hall of famer Pitt and Manning extraordinary serious arm strength though, dude. He really, Mac Jones doesn't have the arm strength. No, now Mac hey. Jones can make the 50 yard throw, but Mac Jones makes that 50 yard throw, not because of the arm strength, but because, but because of the anticipation. Of the touch. Yeah. Um, Peyton Manning didn't have a great arm as far as arm strength. Um, he had a good arm, but not a great one. And I think Zach Williams is comparable. Um, what made Peyton Manning great was his, just football IQ and his ability to be the who's, offensive coordinator. Who's Zach Williams? You just said Zach Williams. So you combined Zach Wilson's name, <laughs> Mac Jones. No, I mean, I'm talking about Zach Wilson, uh, or sorry, um, Mac Jones. I'm talking about Mac Jones. Um, yes, I knew. So, I was, so, just, I was so he, he, he reminds me of, of he's, but he's a Peyton Manning type, right? Very super accurate, not not a cannon for an arm, but way more than adequate. Um, but super, super accurate. And a leader. And, yeah. And I, I think he's going to have a fantastic career. I just think he is not a fit for Seattle. Yes. Because Agreed. he doesn't have the mobility to survive. But, 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 in this but, but you, um, you adjust. I mean, if you end up with a quarterback like Mac Jones, you, 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 you change your it. offense. Exactly. Yeah. You, you, you fix it. Um, Trey Lance is the other guy at the top, not just the other guy. He's one of the main guys. I mean, he's got his own special, unique quality. Um, but he played in a small school and played a, against lower level competition. Um, and, and you wanted to see a guy like that maybe have a chance to go play at the senior bowl so you could see him against high level competition, but he's only a red shirt sophomore. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he's so he wouldn't, he wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, he's young. He's 6'3", 223. He's got the size, speed, athleticism, arm strength to make all the throws. And he runs the ball from all over the place. And and um, especially the short yardage stuff. You know, he can kind of break away a little bit. He doesn't have special speed. It's like 4'6". It's like a Russell Wilson coming out of college speed. It's it's good enough. Mm-hmm. But, but at um, 6'3", 224, he, yeah, can, he can pick he can, up first downs. He can pick up a, for, a first down on third and one. Like you can quarterback sneak him and know you're going to get it. Right. I will say with him, of the, the top folks, to me, there's there's we've talked about four of the five. Trey Lance is the fifth. He's the fifth best of these five. Um, yes. He has And I a, think the talent evaluators in the NFL will see it almost the same way. Because I think, Mac Jones has the intangibles that will lead your team. Trey Lance yeah. has the upside. That you That's the thing. Up. He has the upside. He has the ceiling. I think Trey Lance has the ability to be the second best in this group behind Trevor Lawrence, but he has the lowest floor of those five. I agree. Perfect. And so, um, All right, so let's talk about some, some guys that's uh, if we didn't trade Russell Wilson, which is not going to happen. And we didn't really trade anybody of any consequence to pick up early picks but we had some extra round, you know, four to, to seven type guys. Um, are there guys that are out there at all that you would be interested in seeing develop behind Russell Wilson? Um, the only one that I've looked at that I like is Jamie Newman out of mm, Georgia. Mm-hmm. This, guy, an interesting, this guy interesting. This guy is toolsy. He's got... Um, He's got size at 6'3", 235. People haven't even heard of Jamie Newman because he opted out of 2020 and, mm-hmm. and the COVID thing. So he started out at Wake Forest and then he was going to transfer this year to Georgia and everyone was kind of excited to see him in a, in a bigger uh, offense and a bigger school to be able to see what he could do and he never, he never got that opportunity. So everyone's kind of looking at his old Wake Forest film, kind of trying to project where yep. he's going to go, what he can do, you know, when he, when he has the opportunity and somebody's going to have to take a chance on a guy like Jamie Newman. And, and honestly, he could be I available he, like in the fifth or sixth round. Yeah. And, and that's where I think he's going to go. But I think he's a guy with all the tools. He's got the arm, he's got the athleticism, he's got the size. Um, he actually has some pretty dang good tape uh, at Wake Forest, despite having not a lot of talent around him and being, you know, basically being out talented by the defenses that he played. Um, I, I, I think he is a so guy pro, that pro football that focus like. had him as their third ranked prospect going into the 2020 season. Had he elected to play at Georgia behind only Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. So okay. he, you know, he, he was beginning to kind of be recognized, you know, if he, he went on to play like a, a Kyle Trask, you know, who started at a smaller school and ended up at Florida, uh, al- allowed him to kind of showcase his his ability. And Kyle Trask is probably going to end up going in like the second round or whatever. Uh, he's not a quarterback that I, you know, he's kind of a, a slinger kind of a guy, a playmaker, uh, doesn't operate in like a, a uh, constructed system mm-hmm. very well. But a guy like Jamie Newman, you can mold. You know, he's a guy that doesn't have a, a lot of experience, but he's kind of, he played in that up-tempo kind of run-pass option um, yeah. thing at Wake Forest, and he was going to get a little bit more structure at Georgia. And um, so you don't know exactly where that's going to go. So it might have flipped his standing a little bit in this draft from maybe a, a, a day two prospect potentially to now a day three guy that you're going to have to probably develop and, and keep on your, uh, you know, as your second or third quarterback 
But really, for me, for he's the only guy out of that top five that I would look at. And this is a guy that you're taking in the fifth or sixth round, knowing that he's going to be on, as your backup for at least a year, if not two. Um, and then maybe get a chance to play because he's got the talent. He's got all the tools, um, but you've got to develop him. Um, and I was Davis Mills from uh, from Stanford. Stanford. Yeah, he's I'm for two twenty five. He just hasn't had enough experience. I think he's got 10 games at the college level. I think he's um, a backup at the NFL level. It's possible. Yeah. It's po- it's possible, but he does have the tools. He has mm-hmm. the tools. He he would just have to develop and you just don't know. You know, there's just not enough film with with the 2020 the way it went and uh with you know, at Stanford they're they're predominantly a run team and then they throw a lot to their tight ends, so you're not seeing your quarterback completely dynamic like you would in the SEC or whatever. All right, um, quarterbacks. It, yep. You know, I've I've always said that Seattle should draft a guy to develop. You know, not a late late round guy like Mago, um, but a guy you know in the, in the third fourth round that you could really kind of see potentially as as somebody that you could have take over or at least turn around and, and pick up a, a draft pick for at a later point yeah um and, and that's that's what i like about newman as i think he's a guy that you can draft in the fifth or sixth round and develop let him show in the preseason and really show yes and then you either have a guy because you you know the the time with wilson is leaving and you have okay we're gonna commit to him as our as our guy going forward or you trade him because he shows so well in the preseason someone's like wow let's give up something to get him because he yeah. It's basically the Jimmy Garoppolo situation exactly. in New England. Somebody flip he, a late round, first round pick or, a se- or early second. You'd take yep. that, you know? Okay. Yeah. All right. So running backs. Um, there's a couple of running backs in this draft that would be perfect fits for Seattle. And they're going to probably be gone. So uh, with, um, with Nanji Harris uh, and uh, Javante Williams and then Travis uh, Etany. Or a tiny, I think. Um, yeah, uh, those guys I, are going to be. I can't help you board. with the pronunciation of yeah, that one. Yeah, he's uh, the, the, the Travis is more of a of a guy a change of pace back. He's not one of those bell cow guys that Pete Carroll really likes to have as your back. And if you're going to go out and spend a, a, a early or mid first round pick on a guy, it's probably not going to be that guy. But you never know with uh, Shane Waldron's offense in the stretch zone, they might be looking for a, a few different attributes than we've become accustomed to. So. But those guys are going to definitely be off the board. Nanji Harris this year had a great year. I think he would be a terrific fit in a Seahawks uniform at 6'2", 230. But again, likely off the board. He just does too much. You know, he can run mm-hmm. between the tackles for you. He can get outside with his speed and he can catch the ball out of the backfield. One of the best and it's so, catchers. He's the, so big. Yeah. He's so big. He's so hard to take down. He's well, basically. 6'2", Seattle might not even like that because he might yeah. run too upright for, for the Seahawks. And so mm-hmm. you just never know. Uh, but Javante Williams, Keith, to me, the guy I'd want. prototype for Seattle. Um, yep. 5'10". They like a guy between 5'10 and 6 foot. 5'11 seems to be their perfect guy. But 5'10's just, just right. 220 pounds. Runs with physicality and authority. Doesn't like to step out of bounds. He likes to get the extra hit, just like Chris Carson. This guy's, you know, violent. In, in the running style that runs hard, likes to punch you. He's got great balance. Um, he's elusive. He's got enough of that burst 
He, he's one of the leaders in all of college football in breaking tackles, uh, number one ranked in missed uh, tackles force, number four overall in yards after contact, number two in carries of 15 plus yards. So not only does he have all the balance and he's going to make you miss and he's going to break tackles, he can break the big ones too. Um, so the guy brings the entire package and he's likely just going to go before the Seahawks have a chance to pick. The only way that they would have a chance, I think, at, at Javante Williams is if somehow he fell in the draft, other positions of need became a priority for teams in front of us, and he was just sitting there. And I can't uh, expect him to be it's either hard in the to, It's hard to imagine, right. And so the only way Seattle will be able to do that is if they picked up additional draft capital that we can't predict right now, either mm-hmm. an earlier pick or a combination of a couple picks where they can move up and get a guy like that. Of course, everyone would crucify them in Seattle for picking a running back first, but at least it wouldn't be in the first round. The, it, would um, still be Pete, it would still be Pete Carroll. And so it's a possibility. I mean, you look at with he, Chris Carson, fall in love with the guy with Chris Carson gone and Carlos Hyde gone. And so you're, you're stuck with Penny and a bunch of who knows, um, you know, and, and it's Pete Carroll and Pete Carroll, you know, is going to value the running back position more than well, most and he teams. literally said that is going to be the focus of the off season. Yeah. And so I could see if, if uh, Javante Williams drops or if Seattle that makes a trade and has more draft capital to use it on him, if he's available to me, he's the best running back in the draft. I agree. Um, he's the most complete running back. Now, uh, Najee Harris is going to get a lot because of the, the uh, Travis Henry comps, you know, that people are going to, are going to, you know, say that he's, he, he looks very similar and you look at what Henry's done the last couple of years, people are getting excited about that. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Travis Etney. Is that yes, right? Something, something like that. Like that. Um, he is going to, he's going to show you the Alvin Kamara uh, style where he's, um, great out of the backfield, good at catching the ball, does a lot of things, can run the ball well, a home run hitter. Um, he would fit well in a Waldron offense that he would fit, stretch uh, he principles would. more. Oh, and, I, and so I, I'm not talking, this is a guy who's probably going to get a first round pick now, yes, like late, later first round pick, but still a first round pick as a running back. So let's not, let's not say anything. I'm not saying anything negative, like, oh, he's terrible. No, he's a fantastic player, but he he's more in the uh, Alvin Kamara role. And I don't think that fits. Seattle's prototype, even though he would do well in a Shane Waldron offense, I don't think Pete Carroll and John Snyder will, would agree. He in that wants to smash scenario. you in the mouth, you yeah. know. And, and uh, Waldron's going to design some runs around that, you yeah. know. He's going to have the, you know, uh, Penny there to be able mm-hmm. to take some of those outside uh, reads and, and, and yep. one cut type stuff. And, and so, he's still going to want his animal to be able to run yep. between the tackles. It just is. And All so right. not Najee Harris with that um, Travis Henry comp is going to have yeah. uh, Pete Carroll like drooling over, oh, totally. you know, Absolutely. wanting that. Sure. But, but ultimately Javante Williams is the best back of the three. He's the most complete. He can do all the different things that both the other two guys can do. I think if he is available in the fifties, when Seattle's picking, it's going to be it, hard to pass. It's going to be hard to pass because, because I know it, John's going to want to trade out of that pick a little bit to at least pick up another third or fourth round yep. pick. And fans will hate it because mm. they they do not want the team to use a running back. But it's still Pete Carroll, and it's still a damn good player. I would be dancing. I mean, I think uh, Rob Satan was on the show a few weeks back and and said if they made that pick, he'd be dancing. And he said, "No, literally, I'll be dancing." And 
yeah i'm kind of feeling the same way all right keith talk to me about some console uh consolation prizes okay. here for seattle if seattle doesn't pick running back say they go offensive line i think everyone kind of expects maybe offensive line would be addressed uh, and a defensive end pick, and then they don't have a third currently they next pick in the fourth and fifth and seventh round fourth fifth seventh round give me some names that you think seattle would be uh looking at that would still kind of fit the, the prototypical uh back that that uh seattle likes okay so I'll, I'll straight up and say that there's a bunch of backs out there that play for little schools that i don't know so i look at other people's rankings at guys like Rakeem Boyd um, at Arkansas, and I go, yeah, he's big enough and whatnot. But I, I honestly like not explosiveness. I, I, well, the thing is, I have actually I have not seen Arkansas play, so I can't. I, I don't want to comment. So there's probably guys, and if they take someone, I'm sure it's going to be someone I, I, I don't know. Well, like Elijah Mitchell, way. you know, Elijah Mitchell looks like the perfect prototypical fit, um, but he played for Louisiana, you know, in the Sun Belt uh, mm -hmm. Conference, and a guy like that is going to get passed over a little bit you know he's physical yeah. he's got power he's got the footwork uh, and the consistent production but he did it with in a small school um yeah. and um it's it's going to take a special evaluator to understand if that guy's going to translate into the so, nfl so. so for me when i'm looking at this and you said ask for some names the, the first name that comes to mind is trey sermon um out of ohio state uh kind of six, right in that next tier of, of yeah backs. He's he's six foot two thirteen. I think. Um, let me look. I think CBS had him ranked about one fifty, so that puts him at the end of the fourth round um, or early fifth round kind of situation. Um, you know, if that, that's that's Rob Ring and company over there, and I, uh, I they I have a really think good track this is record. a possibility for Seattle in the fourth round. You know, yeah. Seattle picks towards the back of the fourth round. I think they're picked one fifty five, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. this guy would be, if he's there and we've already addressed the offensive line need and maybe a, a wide receiver or something like that, a guy like Trey Sermon would be a great fit, a good value at that spot. Two. Six foot two thirteen. He's like physical, very physical you know, power running work, back work well in the, in a West coast type type, you know, system. He's mm -hmm. tough. He's a tough runner. You know, the, the, the knock a little bit with him was he had to share the load uh, with a couple other backs um, there over time and really only emerged halfway through the 2020 season where he kind of um, took a step above uh, those other guys and, and performed really well and then did really well in his, his bowl game too. So um, well, I think the other thing with him that's going to be a knock for him and the reason why he's going to drop is he doesn't do a lot of the stuff out of the backfield as a running. It's just not in his tape. And so people are going to view him the way the Seahawks viewed Chris Carson. And that's a first and second down running back, a guy who's going to, you know, be that feature back, but come off the field in the third and long. And, and you have to bring at least in initially, yeah, at least initially. And you have to bring in someone else, um, whether that ends up being DJ Dallas or, or, um, one of the other guys in the roster uh, in, in Seattle, you're going to bring someone else in on third and long. You're going to pull him off the field. And so I think that will drop him down a little bit, but that was not, that was what the Seahawks did with um, Marshawn Lynch of all people, right? They, he was not the, the guy who was in there in the two minute drill, right? right? So they, they would pull him off the field in certain, in certain situations and bring in someone who's a little uh, better in the passing game. 
I don't think it's going to be like a major problem. And Chris Carson is the same way. Um, so I think it's someone that the Seahawks will look at and be like, this is a guy we can grind out first downs with um, and, and really like him. And, and like I said, if you can get him in, in the late four, early five, somewhere in there and get a guy with that kind of skill, that's like getting Chris Carson in the seventh. It's not quite as good as getting Chris Carson yeah. in the seventh, but it's the same kind of beat. It's a, it's it's, a later it's, round pick. It's and, a perfect and, comp really to Chris Carson. And the way that you laid that out, as far as being an early down kind of back, that's really what he's going to be um, mm-hmm. early on. He's also, he's also a little taller at six foot, runs a little upright, um, doesn't have the ball uh, security problems that Chris Carson did coming out of right. college. And, and he's, and he's likely here, used but, so far. He's never had more than 200 uh, carries in a season. Yeah. Um, so he's got a lot of uh, life left in him, you know, yep. and so that's what you're looking for. In a, so, in yeah, a, if, if Carson ends up if Carson ends up signing elsewhere, um, I could see them. I could see them going with uh, a guy like Sermon. Now, I, I'm just looking at, at lists of stuff. And there's um, Kylan Hill out of Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about him, but you know what? He, he seems to fit Seattle's profile, too. Um, but I'm looking yeah, to comment no, he'd on the- be a good. He's he's actually a little underrated. They've got him as kind of an attitude problem a little bit um, there, and uh, you know wanted to move around uh, colleges a little bit. Um, but he's a guy that if Seattle interviews him or or determines that uh, he would be a, a cultural fit in Seattle, I would have no problem with the Seahawks drafting him in the fourth or fifth round because yeah. I think he'd be an excellent value at that point. And um, he's a he's a tackle breaker guy he would mm-hmm. be going a little bit higher just based on talent um, but he's got to to figure out if he wants to really play football and um and all that kind of stuff but he's got the gift he's really I just don't like i just don't like commenting on guys that i haven't seen play real well and so i'm going on someone else's well, recommendation okay well for, a couple of guys i watched him, at so. least i watched was uh Chebra hubbard and and folks have kind of heard about him uh, mm-hmm. When he was a, a junior or, or uh, when he was a sophomore, he ran for over 2,000 yards at Oklahoma State. I mean, and this guy was a, a super dynamic. Now he dropped off a little bit in, in the 20 season. He's uh, six foot 207, slightly under what Seattle likes. But the thing about Hubbard is he would be an ideal fit in that stretch outside zone scheme that Waldron wants to, to run. So if you take a look at like, uh, not Cam Akers uh, with the Rams, but if you take a look at Henderson, um, this guy kind of comps to to Henderson, but with more speed. So Chubba Hubbard, once he gets outside of the tackles, can really be dynamic for you and also receives the ball out of the backfield uh, pretty well. But he's uh, he, he lacks the ability to break the tackles. He's not quite as physical as some of the other guys we're talking about, but he's very fast and quick. So if you need a back or if you want a back like that in your system to kind of complement your uh, bell cow kind of guy, uh, they might consider that. So it depends. He would, his pick would kind of depend on if they solve the uh, running between the tackles, running back thing in free agency. If they did, they might be looking for another guy. If they're not real sure about uh, Dallas or Homer, specifically Homer, they might decide to upgrade that sort of a thing. Another guy I looked at, uh, a couple other guys, uh, Michael Carter kind of fits the same mold as Chubba Hubbard. Michael Carter's probably going to go, uh, you know, early um, in, in, the, um, in the draft, like, you know, mid to, to late second round. Um, Ramondre Stevens, uh, Ramondre Stevenson, sorry. Out of Oklahoma. Out of, he, was, uh, he was at the Senior Bowl. I was not impressed. 
I, I, I had written his name down early, did some study. I really liked him. I uh, watched him fairly closely at the senior bowl. He didn't have a lot of carries or anything like four carries, but he just lacked explosiveness. And you would mm-hmm. think he would be all about that at almost six foot, five eleven and a half, two hundred and twenty-seven 227 pounds. Actually, during the year, he was up into the 240 range. He dropped some weight for the senior bowl, but he still didn't look explosive at all. Uh, didn't really uh, inflict damage when he made contact, didn't break any tackles, kind of fell down after contact, so lacked the balance. So I think that they, even though he has the kind of this intriguing size thing going for him, I think Seattle would shy away from a guy like that. Well, if they're going to go, if, if they're going to look at guys in, in that kind of range, I would rather see them look at Chris Evans out of Michigan, right? Nice. Uh, 5'11", 216. Now, this is a guy that um, didn't play in 2019 because of an injury. And he kind of got stuck in a, in, a, in a committee in 2020. And, and so you haven't really seen a lot of him since 2018. But in 2018, he was a dominant He was player. on everybody's watch list. He was on. He has that everybody's. physical profile. Oh yeah. And all he of a sudden, just, he dropped off, and he lacks the production now, and nobody. You know, he's a big question mark. Yeah, but, but Chris he, Evans so, is, is definitely a name. Keith. He's a name, but like I said, he is. He's physical. He does all the little things. He's got every tool you'd want out of a running back. Um, his ability to break tackles, to make people miss, to drag people if he has to. Um, just he does all. All that stuff is in his 2018 tape, but it's been two years because he didn't play in 2019 and 2020 was kind of a thing. It was just there. Um, and it, so if you're going to take a, take a guy, I mean, this is a guy that, who, what are you getting? Well, if you get the 2018 version of him, you have an absolute star. And if you don't, or if that injury in 2019 was worse than, than perhaps people think it is, and that's why his 2020 was kind of like, eh. Um, well, then you just wasted a pick, but, um, but the upside, right. It's, it's, it's lower floor, but higher ceiling. You have the potential to getting a guy that's just that, that has star potential at that running back position. And I think, yeah, right. That would be it's a guy. Intriguing. I'd love yeah, to no, it's intriguing. Do. Another guy that really intrigues me is Jamar Jefferson out of Oregon state. Not a lot of folks have, have uh, talked about him. He's a little really productive at five, nine, but he weighs two. 15 so he's kind of a wrecking ball uh kind of guy and he's got enough speed and shiftiness to get outside for you uh that's just a name to watch i've seen a lot of projections all over the place for him some folks have him in the seventh round or undrafted other folks are taking him at the top of the fourth round so i'm not exactly sure where he's valued at right now uh but teams uh, i think uh in that spot where there are limited choices in this draft i mean we're really talking about all the guys that that are going to be available um you know through all the rounds that would kind of fit the profile there's a lot of smaller guys and like you said some guys from smaller schools those guys are going to go later um or undrafted and and maybe we could we could go there for for a look but if you want somebody that's actually going to be have an impact uh this next year you're going to have to probably get a guy at least uh, by round five um well one of those one of those go ahead i would say if if you want a guy we keep talking, we keep comparing a lot of different people to Chris Carson. It was a seventh round pick in Seattle. Can I give you a seventh round pick that I think yeah, has the and potential? Then I'm come back to one of the guys I mentioned briefly. It has the potential to follow Chris Carson's career. Um, and that's starting out as a seventh round pick, but earning a spot and then showing that he can be there. 
um, guy that no one really ever talks about. And that's, um, I think it's Jared or it could be Gurid um, Dokes out of uh, Cincinnati. Yeah, I right? haven't even heard the name, Keith, I'll be honest. So he's um, 6'1", 225. He's a little tall, but I like the size, um, this guy runs angry and just runs people over. Just guys, you where's don't want to Where's he at? Him. Cincinnati. What, what name is it? I got to write this down. Dokes. D-O-A-K-S. This guy just freaking runs angry. Gonna, he runs over people. He's, this, he's the guy that when he gets the ball, you see linebackers that just don't want to tackle him. Right? They just don't want to go near him because he will run people over. He runs with um, just tremendous attitude and power and runs people over, runs between the tackles. Um, the reason why he's not thought of higher is that uh, he missed – Three games in 2017 due to injury. He missed all of 2018 due to injury. He missed two games in 2019 due to injury. And then at Cincinnati, they had a shorter season this year because of COVID. They didn't play as many games. So wow. He's never had He did that. not draw the, 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 the long straw. Yeah. He is a guy that – but look at Chris Carson. Yes. In college, he never played a full – season he never had a full 10 game season where he played every game or anything like that um what were the injuries do you know um i don't i mean it sounds like if he missed uh you know some of the 17 and all of 18 and probably like an acl probably an acl and that's just a guess but i mean he's big one of the things i liked about him is for his size at um at 225 he shows more quickness and agility than you'd expect from a guy that size. And if he can't run around you, he'll run through you and, and get yards. I, I just, I like his game. It's easy I think to it fall tra- in love with a guy like that and root for mm-hmm. a guy that's got to climb from, from the, the bottom. Yeah. I think his, that's why I everyone think his loves game, Chris Carson too. it is. I think his, I think Dokes' game translates really well to the NFL if he can stay healthy. And that's why I think he's going to be like a sixth or seventh round pick because the, if he can stay healthy, it's such a big if for him um, as it was for Chris Carson when he came out, which is why Chris Carson was a seventh round pick. And he's shown that he hasn't been able to necessarily stay healthy in the, in the pros either. But when he is healthy, when he is out there, he's such a difference maker. Yeah. My and late I think round, Doug says the same way. Doug. My late round guy or undrafted guy is the uh, Elijah Mitchell that I mentioned earlier. Um, Louisiana senior, 5'10", 215 pounds out of the Sun Belt mm-hmm. uh, Conference. Physical power, footwork, burst, consistent uh, throughout uh, three years of production. Um, kind of a slasher style back, even at that size. So the good blend of size and, and short area quickness, the contact balance. But he ran uh, in a system where they featured three running backs. And so he was, he was just a guy. He wasn't, he wasn't, you know, the guy. And, um, but he's big enough that, you know, he, he can drop his shoulder and, and pick up the extra yards as well. Um, the interesting thing, the interesting tidbit about him is that um, they, and this was listed as kind of a, um, a, a drawback for him that I think could be an attribute for the Seahawks. Uh, the, his offense called upon, called upon a lot of uh, jet motion 
and zone read stuff from a from a pretty athletic quarterback and then the in college when you do that it's uh it's kind of a gimmicky it's a gimmick offense um where you're asking your linebackers especially to 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 read the football a lot and uh, a good quarterback can disguise that and and when you feature a, a good running uh quarterback um you take a lot of the attention off the running back and all that kind of stuff so anyway he he, he was in that sort of a system um and not where you know you had to face a lot of loaded boxes and stuff you you stretch the defense out a lot well guess what the seahawks are gonna do they're gonna they're gonna do some of that they're gonna do some zone reads they're gonna have they have an athletic quarterback um that's going to be able to uh uh, call some plays that that features a lot of jet motion. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of a lot of a lot of bootlegs and stuff like in that. A system like that could be a very attractive option for Seattle in in like a seventh round throwaway pick. They Have could flyer you... on a guy that that has all of the athletic attributes that you like that played in a system that he could be familiar with, and you could find some success there. Have you looked at Caleb Hundley out of Ball State at all? No. Six foot um 226 pounds uh big physical guy runs hard but i haven't studied him enough that i i feel um comfortable really jumping in and, and i'll saying, be honest i didn't i didn't study a lot of late guys just a, a couple the couple of guys i mentioned yeah and that's the thing <laughs> for me is is i i looked at a couple of guys dokes was one of them and when i started watching him i'm like ooh, i think there's something here um and 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 so i kind of got excited about him but i the so rest he, of the he, would he be kind of an undrafted flyer guy? No, I think I think he's going to be. I think I would spend a draft pick on him. I think he's a sixth, seventh round pick, um, late six, early seven type of situation. Um, but it's a, it's a late round situation. If he goes before that, I mean, someone yeah, looked and tough. saw what with, I saw. With Seattle said, this year, you know, Seattle doesn't have nine picks or eleven picks like we're accustomed to, right? They've got four yep. picks right now, and it's going to be hard for them to get back even to seven. Um, so they've got to be really um, uh, constructive, really efficient with the picks that they do have. So you're not going to want to waste picks. You know, the, the, the place where you're going to want to waste stuff is going to be in the undrafted free agency stuff, which I imagine they'll try to take full advantage of this year. But um, with that said, I don't know um, where they you expect them to draft a running back this year just because of the Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde situation, but they may well have solved the issue in free agency. We just don't know, but without the money to spend as well, it's hard to predict these things. So you kind of, kind of plan for everything. It's, it's, it, I would love to be in the Seahawks organization this year working under uh, John Schneider because I'm, he's got those guys working full time <laughs> Mm-hmm. at every level like free agency he's he's looking for deals he's looking for guys that he could have on minimum salary that could still give you a lot of upside he's looking at the draft all you know seven rounds and then he's going beyond that to look for guys that he's already probably calling you know to say hey listen if you're not in the draft don't worry you know we we're looking at you so it, it's a crazy year um crazy year so so okay um, i'm gonna i want to throw out one more name okay i know we're running along but it is because we're doing running backs, and when you do running backs, fullbacks kind of fall into that. And oh. I know fullbacks, they're not really a thing in 2021 anymore, right? Um, but when I was watching Evans at Michigan, 
and and trying to to get a feel for for that. And then I went ahead and watched some more recent ones, just specifically to get an to get a view of Ben Mason, out of Michigan. This is a guy who is 256 pounds. He's a fullback. He is a lead blocker, a short yarded specialist. Also plays special teams very well and makes an impact. And will line up at tight end mm-hmm. and be an inline blocker or a guy that can go. That's out why I end. really like Tommy Tremble out of uh, Notre Dame in the tight end class, and we'll talk oh, about yeah, that Nick, in a few weeks. But he's yeah. he's kind of that only the reverse. He's a tight yeah. end first, but he can he can drop back and, and play that fullback yes, spot exactly. too. And and that's why I saw Ben Mason is like it gives him a, a fullback who can actually be a fullback. unlike like what they've currently got on the roster, which is a fullback. Who's just a special teams guy. Yeah. Um, and this and is we've a talked about that is you, if you're going to spend a, a roster spot on a guy, you might as well have the best, most, most athletic guy that can actually play a position for you, mm-hmm. not just special teams, but a position if, you know, and, and contribute because uh, you know, those roster spots are, are pretty precious to a team. Yep. But anyway, so you're, nice. you're talking about an undrafted free agent um, type of guy. He's a fullback. He's kind of a tight end, but he's he's more of a fullback. Special teams stand out. What could go wrong? Um, I'd love to see them 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 pick up Ben Mason out of Michigan nice. uh, as an undrafted guy. I like it. I mean, that's a, that's a that's a you know when you're when you're picking at the end or you're picking up an undrafted guy, you're really looking at a, at kind of jack of all trades guy or or a specialist it's either one of the other they can either do everything or they're going to do one thing really well and um so a guy like that is valuable you know they could play three different spots for you special teams fullback tight end i like it um okay so today we did running backs and quarterbacks um and we had a major discussion about the future of our franchise (laughs) um so uh good show overall Thanks, Keith. Absolutely. Yeah, I was looking forward to the whole Russell Wilson conversation because uh, I was thinking maybe we should get on and and record kind of a special show just for that. Uh, or, you know, right after this kind of stuff went down, and um, we kind of waited. Yeah. And I'm glad we waited because I was saying, I'm glad that we waited. I'm glad that we waited. We kind of let this thing, you know, mellow um, because the initial response was like, "Oh my God, they're going to have to trade yeah. him. He's gone." And, and people were starting to speculate, like, what could you get in response and all of that? Right, I think right. you and I had some texts about um, what it would take for to, to get Russell Wilson off of Seattle. And I think I had a, a pretty good idea with, with the Raiders and, and after they traded Carr and then, you know, multiple ones and multiple twos and whatever. And then after it sat for a couple of days, it was more like, okay, we get that things aren't perfect, but ultimately the those three guys yeah. of Schneider, Carroll, and Wilson will get together and realize yes. that they're best. They're better off they're, together. They're better off together than apart. Yes. And that they and they depend on each other and they'll figure out a way to make it work. Yeah. And I because think that Seattle's never shied away from trying to be better, to, to yeah. try to get to the Super Bowl. That's always been the legit um goal. And it's not like they're they're faking it until they make it they really do want to get there pete wants to get there russell wants to get there shiner's trying to build the roster and do everything he can with some limitations in place and 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 so forth and you know so so everyone's kind of focused on the same thing they just want to get there in a couple different ways and if you can figure out how to 
bridge those ideas. And I think they're on their way to do that. Um, and the Shane Waldron hire at offensive coordinator, coordinator kind of shows the mentality that they went through to, to get that pick. They took their time. They didn't rush. They didn't go out and get the shiniest tool out there. They methodically went through the process with Russell Wilson involved and they picked the guy that could marry up a scheme that would enhance Russell Wilson's physical gifts and abilities to command the offense, to give him the, to put him in the best position to be successful and make Pete Carroll happy because the offense was going to be more efficient and take care of the ball and still run the ball. Um, and so I thought it was, was, was a genius pick. Now I could be proven wrong if it completely fails, but if it succeeds, it could save, you know, at least the short term, it could sh save the franchise because Russell Wilson's going to be happy. Uh, Pete Carroll's going to be happy. Pete'll go out on his contract on his terms. Um, and everyone would love to see that. And Russell Wilson will stay. And eventually um, he could, he could be essentially running the franchise because uh, after Pete leaves, anything can happen. And Pete or uh, Russell Wilson's going to absolutely probably get whatever he wants at that point, but we're not quite there yet. We've got a little ways to go, so we'll see. Um, shows coming up, just briefly, I'll mention those, wide receivers and tight ends next week. After that, it's the offensive line. Uh, literally, um, uh, Mr. Meyer's favorite show of the year. We get to talk about offensive linemen for like an hour and a half, isn't that I know, crazy? like, I know, and, and it's everyone else is like, oh wait, what are they talking about? <laughs> Yeah. Let's, I'll, so what, I'll what else is on? that week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I get that nobody else cares, but for me, that's my show. I um, I'm a guy that studies offensive linemen. I don't know how that became my thing. I don't either. But it that's is crazy. And it was just one of those things when I was covering the NFL and covering the team and, and doing it professionally. Was fell in love I, with those big guys. I just got really into. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you what it was. It was Alex Gibbs. And and Alex Gibbs. Um, and his teaching philosophy on outside zone and all of that and really getting into it and all of the little tiny details and everything he, he had. And I just really loved learning from him. Um, and that just kind of became my thing. And then I started looking at, okay, so that's the outside zone, but what about everything else? And yeah. then I just, yeah. I, I learned as much as I could um about scouting the position and, and learning and, and all that kind of stuff yeah, and maybe some... we should try to get solari on the show and you, know and you could talk to mike solari for like an hour yeah he basically what would happen is he and <laughs> um he would be he would answer questions i would like geek out as like the um the, the most super fan the most obnoxious person ever asking like these inane questions that no one else would care about. And literally you would fall asleep. And so would most of our listeners. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so after the, after the offensive line show, we're going to do like an early free agency show. Uh, free agency will have just started and uh, completed its first four or five days. And we're going to, we're going to talk about that. And then we'll hop back into the prospects and all the way through the draft, we've got stuff planned. So, um, Anything else? We'll just get out of here. We'll get back next week and we'll, we'll talk more next week. We'll have be a little bit more focused uh, on one topic and uh, unless something crazy happens, of course. Well, next week's actually like a, it's a good one for us because 
the Seahawks have been really, really interested in the tight end market. They mm. have been yeah, way more right. than I way more than I expected them to be. They have looked into pretty much every potential free agent tight end that's out there. They they appear that is poised, very true. Poised I'm to I'm actually surprised. Yeah, you, you know who got released today? Kyle Rudolph, Minnesota Vikings tight end, ten year veteran. Mm-hmm. And Seattle has been great rumored to be interested in him in the past years. That would be that would be a very interesting player in Seattle. I think they could probably get him for like five or six million dollars too. Um, the other uh, position we're doing is wide receivers, which is probably uh, be behind the 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 five quarterbacks we mentioned early on. Probably the strongest position. Oh, it's a draft. really really deep. Uh, wide receiver class. Yeah. I you like remember the this last time class. Seattle had a deep, really deep wide receiver class was the year before I think uh, Medcalf was drafted um, in 2017, and the took no one. one. They took nobody. I know. And one I was flabbergasted. Deepest, one of the deepest wide receiver classes in history, where you're getting guys going in the fourth round that are usually second or late right, first right, round right, picks, right, and the right. CX just completely opted out. So, needless to say. <laughs> you, know what, you know what will happen you know what's coming next all right yep so uh follow keith on twitter at myers nfl i'm at uh nw seahawk the show is at hawks playbook on twitter seahawksplaybook.com has all of the shows uh on our own website and you can find us on your favorite podcast app by googling seahawks playbook podcast and you can find us on youtube as well if you want to see us uh geek out uh, live on camera. Uh, I don't know why, but uh, some people do. So bless you. See, here's the thing. <laughs> the people who do, I can kind of understand um, a little bit because you're there and it's awesome. But then half the time I'm the one talking and people have to look at this and I don't get why they would want to do that. It's, it's beautiful, Keith. <laughs> you're, you're just such a lovely person that, uh, you know, I'm here for it. All, all the time, every week, 214 consecutive weeks. I've now, even, even before we started the YouTube stuff, we did uh, Zoom uh, conference calls. And then before that, we did Skype. So I've always been able to see you on the, mm-hmm. on, on the podcast. So I've literally 200 consecutive, 200 plus consecutive weeks, you and I have spoken about Seahawks football for at least an hour plus. And, uh, We've had to we've had to watch each other, and here we we still are. So there's got to be something more than just uh, uh, looks when somebody's looking into uh, <laughs> enjoying another human being. So I will say that my favorite episodes we've ever recorded are the ones where we're sitting in the same room. That's true. Those that have, is true. Those have been my those have been my favorites, and I look forward to when COVID's over when traveling is possible and we can do that again yeah for sure if nothing else we need to have one of these together cheers Cheers. all right see you next time guys yep and uh what do we say at the end of every show until next time until next time go Go hawks Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners thanks for joining us for another edition of the show you can find us on Twitter Bill is at NW Seahawk Keith is at Myers NFL And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.